Welcome to the Cloister Bell Podcast, Episode 2. Hello and welcome to Episode 2 of Cloister Bell. I'm Robert. And I'm Liam. And today we are talking about the Ghost Monument. So first and foremost, the opening titles. What do you think of those? I really, really like them. Uh, I suppose we got a hint of what they would be like for, uh, on the credits at the end of the last episode. But this is the first episode of the new series where we actually begin with the title sequence and the theme tune properly. I think they're really, really good. It's um, They're very modern but there is a little bit of a hark back, I think, to the Bernard Lodge title sequences, particularly of the William Hartnell and Patrick Troughton era, where you've just got this sort of strange rogue shack type um, moving images, which feel quite eerie and establish a certain mood before we then sort of have filtered star fields and, which, and the way that they appear make you think of black holes and things like that. So I think you know the, the very uh, the, the, I think the concept of them are very simple, but the execution of it's really really good and establishes a mood. And I, not only do I like the title sequence, but I also like the theme tune as well. It's it's very reminiscent of the very original version of the theme tune, but um, but with a bit more of a percussive sound to it. Yeah, I think it shows that bigger isn't always better. You know, it, we don't need a big vortex with three D text flying at your face. Yeah, and the music felt quite retro just like the 1960s theme uh slightly rehashed um but it still feels quite relevant now yeah very much so i think that's i think that's one of the things i mean i think you'd be very hard pushed to say there's a you know there's a a version of the doctor who theme that you generally think doesn't work because i think every every version every rendition of it um it's just a different reinterpretation i like them all but obviously to varying degrees, just determine on taste. But I think for me, the very, the original version is so atmospheric and like nothing, even after all the, after all these years, it, um, it's still very evocative and very atmospheric and creepy and exciting. So I think it's quite natural to, for a composer to want to harken back to that because it feels that back in 1963, they nailed it with uh, Delia Derbyshire, with her arrangement of, of Ron Greiner's theme tune rendered electronically and very interesting. And they have harkened back to that. And given how strong it was, um, it totally makes sense. But obviously there's that... that, that well, it's obvious when you listen to it that it, um, it is brought up to date with this very strong metallic percussive sound that they've introduced, which works very, very well. Yeah, the last time we heard it was the day of the Doctor, and mm-hmm. it felt a bit out of place there, uh, just because it was sandwiched in between two stories that used the modern theme, and they didn't even use the theme for very long. How long were the titles on for? It felt like about twenty seconds or something. Yeah, yeah, it was quite short. I'm not too, mm. I'm not sure how long, but um, I mean, it worked in the sense that it was because it was a celebratory story, and it made sense because it was celebrating the fiftieth. Um, yeah. So it was quite it was quite a nice touch, but I know what you mean. It it felt a bit um, 
it felt a bit jarring at the time in the way that the episode starts. Um, but now it feels right. Yeah. And then, um, so as soon as the title sequence finishes, where we begin, we're really, really thrown into the uh, into the story immediately, which I suppose straight may- back in the action. Yeah, very, yeah. very, very, uh, very much so. Which makes sense considering how the last episode finished with all the with all the the regulars now um, hovering in space and going, well, how on earth are they going to how how on earth are they going to get out of that one? Which, in some respects, is is handled quite quickly. Um, but they are separated. In some respects, it, it it did seem a bit of an odd thing of splitting the characters off into two separate groups in order for them to reform within a space of five minutes. But it worked. It uh, in terms of the action, it was uh, it was very fast paced. Mm-hmm. Uh, what were your yeah. th- what were your um, thoughts on the way that the the story began? Well, it it just hit the ground running, and I I like the idea that it split the team up because. I think the relationship between Ryan and Graham is one to watch out for mm-hmm. because obviously the relationship between them is probably going to develop um, and you'll, you'll start calling him Grandad eventually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Um, to- talking of which, because yeah, yes, uh, the relationship between Graham and Ryan I do think is one to watch out for, but the way that it's sort of unfolded in this story I did find a bit perplexing because... Um, so obviously it makes sense because... Grace, you know, somebody who meant a great deal to both of them um, in the terms of Graham because uh, Grace was his wife and in terms of Ryan because it was his grandmother. Um, and then she's, you know, died and obviously having, having to deal with that. And there were certain scenes where I felt that that was nicely touched upon. The, the scene in particular where Ryan is saying to Graham, you're talking about her death far too much. And Graham says, you're not talking about it enough. So there's that wonderful way of of um, showing real emotions and how people deal or not deal, as the case may be, with uh, someone's death. But there were, there were other moments in the episode where I did feel that I was a bit concerned about how Ryan's character is going to be written in the forthcoming episodes because I thought all of a sudden he was seen, he was seen to be very impetuous and quite... Um, I don't know how to phrase this. A bit, <laughs> if you pardon the expression, a bit dickish, really. It was it wasn't done too much, but enough for me to go. Mm, I'm not sure whether I like this or not. Well, I guess that just comes with age, you know. Um, he's quite young, and he hasn't, even though he has lost his mum, mm-hmm. he could have been quite isolated at that time. He hasn't had to be very open um, about his emotions. Mm-hmm. People deal with death in different ways, and sometimes being closed off is probably the right way at the time yeah yeah that's true but yeah maybe as the series goes on they'll find a way to come to terms with our death a bit more um they might find a middle ground of um ryan will be slightly more open or graham won't need to talk about as much so yeah this is a this is an interesting one with um with regards to yasmin i'll get to the doctor in a bit um because we touched upon this in the the first podcast when we were talking about all the different characters and in the first episode they were written quite well and introduced quite well but we i think we both agreed that yasmin was the one character who didn't come across as as strong as the others that her character needed fleshing out a bit more and i think that's very much the case in this episode as well in fact it, it felt a bit more obvious um 
she compared to the other characters she's someone who's just sort of there uh i mean the moments where she is utilized well it does come across you know obviously she's the caring one she's the one who's got ryan's back on a lot of occasions keeping an eye out um there was a moment where ryan and yasmin are the ones who find the surveillance uh cameras realizing that the um the sniper bots are about to um start following them down into the tunnels which sort of mirrors Mm -hmm. in the first episode when they're the ones who find um the the computer file uh, which gives them a hint of of what's going on so i think there's there's a sense that ryan and yasmin are very good together in terms of um detective work but that scene there i I don't know whether you felt the same It, it it felt a bit um bizarrely edited where it felt like they went into a room and they discovered something and that was perhaps going to build up to something a bit and then it just suddenly fell flat. But anyway, th- the point is they're the ones who seem to be very good at, um, you know, a good detective team and hopefully that will be built on. Um, I suspect that in the following episodes, Yasmin's character will be much better introduced. There was a hint, and I, I appreciate that I'm leaping forward a bit here, but... Um, when the episode ended and we saw a trailer for the next episode, Yasmin seemed to be a bit more, um, a bit more involved. You know, she's the one who meets Rosa Parks, for example. Um, and we found out some of the episode titles further on in the series, where one of them's called um, "Demons of the Punjab," which, given the title, one suspects that she may be a bit more involved in that story. So I suspect that you know. Um, should be better utilised in, in further stories. But at the moment, I feel like Yasmin's a bit um, underutilised. Would you agree or not? Yeah, she hasn't really had her moments to shine. Mm. Like you say, she does work well with Ryan. But mm-hmm. that's probably the extent of it at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know about you as well. Just just going briefly, because when we were talking about the title sequence, I said that there was a sort of hint of a bit of Bernard Lodge, like the original title sequences back in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. Um, the The story itself, I felt, was, you know, it was, it was a decent one. It was... Um, there were a couple of things that are... That, for example, there was a whole thing that the planet had... Um, the planet was running on engines and it had dropped out of the atmosphere because uh, the engines weren't, weren't running well, which made me think of the Dalek invasion of Earth and how the Daleks wanted to hollow out the Earth and hollow out the Earth's core and replace it with an engine. Bizarre plot. But the fact that we've got a planet which is run off, uh, run, runs off engines reminded me of that. And we had flesh-eating microbes in the water, which had, which reminded me of... Um, the the sea of Fast acid and errata. no <laughs> no 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 although the, the uh, there was a moment with um, in the episode the way that you know shadows move and those uh, those bandages did remind me a bit of the Vash and errata funnily funnily enough but no no what I was going to say was yes. um, how the the fleshy microbes in the water reminded me of the sea of acid in the keys of Marinus the the Hartnell story yeah. so just you know little yeah. little touches like that. Yeah, I was starting to wonder if someone was going to end up in the water, mm-hmm. and I was a bit, I was a bit worried when they started going to sleep on the boat. But then they just woke up fine. I thought some someone was going to get up to no good. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It was it was sort of one of those things where it's an interesting idea, but it's it was sort of like a hint of something. And I wonder if mm-hmm. 
Because one thing that did surprise me is later on when it's revealed that that this planet is is full of horrors like um like those bandages which actually kill people, which is a sort of macabre idea of something that is used in in medical treatment is is now used to kill. And it turns out, you know, mm. the, the, the scientists were kidnapped, blackmailed, and tortured t- to make these things. And it was actually the Stenza, and they've cropped up because the they turn out to be the race of aliens, which was the monster in the in the very first story. So I'm wondering if if the Stenza thing is is going to build up, and they're probably going to be the the, the villains of um of the series because they were there in the first episode. And they're here sort of twice in this one, in the Ghost Monument, in the sense that um, Susan Lynch's character, Angstorm, turns out, you know, her her planet has has been destroyed by them and her f- family's in absolute turmoil because they're on the run from them. And then mm-hmm. the scientists who were on uh, this planet were forced to make these things because of this, this alien race. Um so this idea of the flesh the flesh eating microbes in the water I'm wondering because I mentioned that later on we're going to have an episode called the demons of the Punjab and Punjab yeah actually translates to five rivers or land of the five rivers so I'm wondering if I mean I may be completely off 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 the track but I'm wondering if this is something that you know because if you're going to have a story which is set in a particular geographical area it makes sense I think to use something of that geographical area narratively and because the Punjab means five rivers and we've got the story with flesh eating microbes is there is there going to be something something used there we'll have to see I mean mm. it may be the case that not but I think it's a, um, perhaps a tantalizing idea yeah and I wonder how prominently the Stenza stuff will crop up and if any of the um, any of these things off the planet will reappear but yeah, it's interesting that it's been mentioned so soon in episode two. I wonder if it'll be quite a regular thing. Yeah, because uh, when this, as I say, as this, as soon as the stanza were mentioned, it was sort of, oh, okay, that's that's interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Because when we were talking, Chris, once again, Chris Chibnall has has written this episode, and when we were talking about him as as lead writer um, uh, in the previous podcast. I, I did say that I thought in terms of Doctor Who, he was a, a surprising choice to, to take over as, as lead writer. Um, he's clearly a very talented and very capable writer. And, you know, um, he was the cre- he created and written Broadchurch, which was which was very well received. But in terms of Doctor Who, I felt that the stories that he had written for the show, particularly something like 42 and The Hungry Earth, Cold Blood, mm-hmm. that they were perfectly... F- functional stories but nothing that particularly excited and in some respects i think the ghost monument you you could aim that criticism at this one in that it was you know a perfectly decent story per, but perfectly functionary you could follow the beats for me i think it was obvious at the i mean not that it was a made a secret but at the end that you know that they're going to get the tardis back but the main one was i think from the from the off i think you could see the end which was the the two characters Epso and Angstorm who are doing this race in order to win a, a substantial amount of money which will change their lives I thought it was obvious that that they will reach a point where they go oh let's just make it a draw 
Having said that, though, that just I did think that there were there was enough of there were plenty of interesting ideas in this story, uh, moments of atmosphere, and just some really really delightful moments, which it sort of it that that perfunctory nature of of the plot um, didn't in, didn't destroy my um, enjoyment of the story, if you like, um, and. A big part of that is actually to do with the characters. Uh, we've talking about um, Graham and Ryan and Yasmin. The Doctor in this story, um, I thought, was an absolute delight. Um, you know, showing off her intelligence, her sense of wonder, um, yeah, her her willingness to to help. Um, you raised an interesting point in the previous podcast as well, which was you were thinking that a big a big character theme of this series could perhaps be people realizing their worth and building up their confidence in in this episode the doctor's filled with a lot of self-doubt yes yeah yeah even to the point where at the end where she's going you know i failed you all which Mm. in terms of the doctor's a surprising uh, character development because of for a lot, I mean, this goes back to the classic series, but even within recent years, the Doctor's always the one who's you know very confident in in mm. his ability or, or her ability in this case. But uh, yeah, that yeah. was quite a surprising thing. Of you know, she was she was doubting. Yeah, and even when she gives up, the companions are being overly optimistic. You know, there's no hope here, mm-hmm. and they're saying, "No, it's fine. Come on, we'll be fine." <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but the but the interesting thing is, is that they're actually the ones who are proven to be right. They're going like we've gone, we've mm. come this far. Um, we clearly work very well as a team, which goes into another thing yeah. as well. Because, as I said, the way that the characters are written is really, really well done. And there's a moment when they've both gone on the ship, and you know they're, they're talking about their experiences. And the the character Epso, who's played by uh, Sean yeah. Dooley. You know, he's established as the character who, you know, he looks out for number one and, you know, he's supposed to be a realist uh, and has major trust issues. That story of his mother um, is, I think, you know, unfortunately very believable. And Mm -hmm. understandably, if you would experience something like that as a child where your mother is telling you to climb a very high tree and then jump out the tree and she will catch you to for her to step out the way and then for him as a child to land flat on his face and break limbs and so on obviously that is going to affect his um his ability to trust others and that was i think a, yeah. a very real very touching moment i think this is the strength of chris chibnall we saw it in the the first episode and we're seeing it here where he, you know the the series is yes it's exploring uh, science fiction drama thrilling moments but bringing it down to to real character development where where people yeah. can relate I think that I thought that was a very very powerful moment and for the doctor just to simply yeah that, your that moment with Erzo, um it was such a good piece of writing uh, that all all of a sudden you understand his character yeah it's easy it's easy to write a stubborn character who's set in their own ways, doesn't like people. Yeah. But it, it it's a lot better when you can understand that. 
So I think that that was a really good piece of writing. Yeah, yeah, totally. I agree with that. Very much so. And with with Angstrom and Episode's relationship, I was mm. expecting Episode to be a bit more reluctant near the end um, to go together as a team, mm-hmm. and it goes and goes joint place. Uh, did you think that was a bit rushed at the end, or do you think it a progressed li- well? Um, I think it was a little bit rushed. It did feel a bit. Um, mm. I think certainly. I think with Angstorm's character, it would. It would. I think the way that her character had had been shown, she would obviously be, be a bit more open to the idea. I would. I would have expected episode to have needed his if um, needed his arm twisted a little bit. So in some yeah. respects, it did. Feel I mean, a bit I, under, I understand that this this saved his life, but I was expecting more of a revelation mm. to mm. to get him to get him on their side. Yeah, yeah, but I think I mean I didn't think it was. It didn't feel so rushed as to ruin the episode. I think just just a tad. I think it was one of those things of if they had the sake of an extra two minutes to to write in something, it may have smoothed it over a little bit more. But it it wasn't. It didn't f- feel like a hugely rushed, but just a tad. Do you think there's a likelihood that they? And along with um, Ilan, played by Art Malik, the the chap in the tent, yeah. do you think there's a likelihood that they may they may return in a later episode? Yeah, they very well could. I don't know in what way. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's possible. I mean, I would certainly like um, Ilan's character to come back. I mean, one he was played by Art Malik, who is who is arguably the the first major uh, guest star to to appear in the series and. Um, I've seen. I think, like a lot of us, we've seen Art Malik in a, in a few things, and he's he's always an absolute uh, delight. And he was here, and he played the part so well. Uh, and I think to have an actor like Art Malik to appear in the series, playing that character, I would very much like yeah. to to see him come back. There's lots of things. There's lots of potential with the, with that character. Uh, so I, w- I would like to see a return. Yeah, and I'm wondering what your opinion is on his decisions at the end of the story. Because he seems like a character who maintains being in control, mm-hmm. but when he's threatened for refusing to give them joint first place, he he gives in. What do you think made him come to that decision? Do you think he empathised with the situation, or did he feel threatened? There is a possibility, but if he did feel threatened... Uh... It would be a bit odd considering that it seemed, I mean, as far as he was concerned, it would seem very unlikely for them to to escape the to, planet. To get to him, and, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, uh, so going to that point, so obviously because... He, he, so, just as they're about to leave, Angstrom asks for Ilan to include the Doctor and, and, and the rest to be taken off the planet. But he refuses point blank. So it is a bit odd because he he's clearly someone who isn't overly helpful, and yet to suddenly go, oh yes, um, you and Epso are joint winners. Having said that, though, he does seem to be quite touched about the idea. He's um, he is a bit of an interesting character. So as I say, I think mm. there's there's um, there's a lot of potential to to bring his character back because clearly there's there's a lot going on there. Well, that would be good, but. If you look back at the history of the show, 
this this happens a lot. There's a lot of potential with characters that go off at the end of stories and you just don't see them again, do you? Yeah, yeah, that's true. And especially, you know, played by a really good... Either particular favourite of mine is Timothy Dalton, who came back, who came to play Rassilon at the end of uh, David Tennant's time, which I thought was fantastic, yeah. um, fantastic casting. But that was that was a one-off. Um, so that yeah. that might be the case here. Yeah. And am I right in thinking he was planned to come back for Hellbent but he just wasn't available is that right I'm not too sure possibly mm. I mean if that is the case it is a shame because I, I do like Timothy Dalton and um, mm-hmm. it would have been nice to have seen him return how do you think he played Rassilon I thought he played the character really really well He, you got that real sense of a someone who was both incredibly powerful but also incredibly desperate um, yeah Obsessed with immortality, which is obviously an interesting contrast if you go back to the Five Doctors. But um, obviously, Rassilon's a very complex character. No, I really liked Timothy mm. Dalton's uh, performance of that of that character. I thought it was I thought it was really good. So now, I suppose, because mm. unless there's anything else you want to discuss, I think we've come to the, the the big one now, which is the story does indeed end where we thought it would. The TARDIS has come back. Um, so first of all. I want to just talk about a couple of things. One, Jodie Whittaker's sort of performance of seeing the TARDIS again, and then the actual TARDIS. What were your thoughts? Well, I think we all knew it was going to be redesigned inside. Mm-hmm. And I, I liked her reaction. You know, walking in the doors, you could see it was quite it was quite large. I liked the walls, even though it does look. It reminds me when you walk in. Um, when you go when you go to get the tires changed on your car and there's <laughs> alloy wheels stacked up, and there's loads of hubcaps all over the walls. <laughs> Not quite the look I thought they were going to go for. No. Not that the um, yeah, I, I totally agree. I thought Jodie Whittaker's uh, performance of the Doctor, uh, seeing her absolute delight of having her home back, was was just great. And you know the way that she was talking to the TARDIS and. You know, recognizing that's a sentient thing and going, oh, yeah. you're and I, I and think, you're I think I'm most, and I think her biggest reaction to that was the custard cream, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was. I'll get, I'll get back to the custard cream in a second. But I thought, um, but the way that the the interior of the TARDIS was revealed, I thought was really well done. Funny enough, it didn't remind me of um, hood caps or anything like that. It did make me think of. I don't know whether you... Have you seen the Tom Baker story, The Invasion of Time? Yes. Are you talking about the um, the lead-lined room? Yes. It, it. I mean, it looks completely different, but for some reason it, it made me think of that. Uh, but the... Yeah, I thought of that as well, yeah. The slow re, uh, the slow reveal of Inside the TARDIS and how, how large and how grand it was, I thought, was handled really, really well. And I've got to say, I absolutely love the redesign. I think it's... I just think it's stunning. It's beautiful. It's fantastic. I, I mean, I'm not sure. It may possibly be my favourite TARDIS interior, but I have to give that some thought. But at the moment, I just think it's absolutely fantastic. I love it. You mentioned the custard yeah. cream. That was a nice touch. Uh, I watched a video which was uh, released by the BBC where you had the, the designer um, you know, going through it and apparently um, had asked Jodie Whittaker and said, what is your favourite biscuit? And didn't explain why he was asking that. And she went, oh, it's custard creams. Uh. Uh, and then um, 
And then what happened was when they were showing showing Jodie Whittaker the inside of the TARDIS for the first time, they said, push that pedal. And she pushed it. And then the custard cream was revealed. And then obviously it all made sense. And apparently her face was just a picture of absolute delight. And that is a nice touch. Personally, though, I would prefer chocolate bourbons. But that's just me. Would you have any preference for any particular biscuit? Yeah, I was thinking bourbons. But who... Which is best, Jammy Dodgers or Custard Creams? Ooh. Um, I would say Custard Creams personally. What about you? Mm, I guess so. See, because I've never... Co- right, okay, now this is the biscuit discussion. This is the biscuit podcast. Um, I find that regardless of who's made Custard Creams, they've never got it wrong. Custard Creams are Custard Creams. Whereas with Dam- Jammy Dodgers... I always find that they're really hit and miss depending on who makes them. They either get the jam ratio completely wrong or they get the biscuit ratio completely wrong. Or I've had jammy dodgers where they just taste really doughy. Uh, it's really hit and yeah, miss. Yeah, the, 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 they've got to go be crispy, haven't they? Yeah. You can't have like a stale jammy dodger, but <laughs> custard creams can be soft. It, it all depends on what you're drinking, really. No, that, yeah, that is true. Uh, I mean, in all fairness, I mean, I suppose you could confuse a Dalek with a jammy dodger. As Matt Smith showed. But that is pushing uh, credibility a bit too far, in my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think this is something that will be a point of uh, contention amongst Doctor Who fans? Going, well, I thought she was good, but it turned out she liked Jammy Dodgers, and I just couldn't take her seriously (laughs) anymore. (laughs) Anyway, I think that's enough biscuit talk. Yeah, yeah, this could cause a big debate. It could put a lot of people off. (laughs) True. Uh, one thing I was going to say was why was Desolation out of orbit but you mentioned earlier that something that I'd missed about the um, the planet yeah but that was a bit of a funny one because I felt like that was a plot point that should have been made you know it felt like it was going to be a big deal but then it sort of was a like what I mean was it entirely I mean was it an entirely artificial planet I don't know whether that was just... I don't know. It, it did seem a bit of an odd one. Like, maybe that was something that they could have... Maybe... They could have, could have explained explained it better, yeah. Maybe. Maybe. But then, yeah. if you go in a bit more detail about that, does it get boring? It's just a little plot point that's there to serve a purpose. Yeah. I think the locations were great. And the it, the filmed in South Africa, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's right, they did. Uh, yeah. Perfect location. It looked, uh, perfect location for the story, and in terms of the direction and the cinematography of the episode, they utilised it really, really well. It looked absolutely stunning. Yeah, there's a lot of moments that had more of a handheld theme mm-hmm. that was really up close to the drama, and I think that really pulled you in a bit more. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I, f- I find that using handheld cameras uh, is a technique that can be massively overused, and uh, you see this a lot in, in, in quite modern cinema and sometimes it doesn't entirely mm. work and that constant close-up and shaky camera can actually be quite distracting. Really distracting. Yeah, yeah, yeah but I think on this occasion it was used when it needed to be used. It, it you know, I think... Um, so yeah, I think uh, it was it was utilised really well. And uh, the director, I'm, I, can, I can only apologise for this because I'm not sure how he pronounced his surname properly. Mark... Uh, Tondere but I hope he comes back to um, 
direct direct further um, Doctor Who episodes based on this. I think he directs the next one, Rosa, as well. Uh, but given how he directed this episode, I think we're very much in safe hands. And uh, the cinematographer Tico Poulakakis, I think. I, I really apologise. I cannot. Uh, I, I'm probably completely mispronouncing. I hope that. they're not listening. But once a- <laughs> Well, if they are, hello, uh, please get in contact and tell us how you pronounce your names properly. I, I really apologise. But um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure they'll get in contact soon. Anyway, um, uh, you know, uh, she's worked on this episode and uh, works for, with uh, with Rosa and, you know, absolutely sterling work. So I, th- I would very much like to see them return uh, to the series as well. Because, yeah, they did a phenomenal job in, in making this episode look absolutely fantastic and that was one yeah, thing that yeah. that chris chibnall and the bbc said in general that this was going to be the most cine uh the, the, the uh the series of doctor who that looks the most filmic and that's definitely the case certainly with this episode yeah and if they want to make this a new beginning it needs to distinguish itself from what came before yeah yeah definitely so there's something else i want to ask you about mm-hmm the timeless child oh yes that was a really good scene and uh i've completely forgotten about that which is quite surprising actually because um it feels like a moment of just a moment of revelation just this little glimpse of perhaps something of the doctor's life that we weren't privy to um whether that's touched upon later i'm not sure i think me personally i'd rather it wasn't i think this is just it's a it's an it's a nice little glimpse of something that we perhaps don't know about the doctor and touches on so i mean what are your thoughts on that it's interesting what you said because they keep answering questions about the doctor you know mm-hmm. there's no mystery you know we know who he is we know where he went to school yeah, yeah, that's true, and I think um, I mean obviously with the with the with the series as a, a series as long as this, it's it's gone on for a long time. You're you're obviously going to find out bits and pieces, um, but funny enough, that's something that the the makers of Doctor Who recognised when Sylvester McCoy was the Doctor, and they went right. We really need to instill a sense of mystery with the character, and that's what they did. Um, and then when they brought the show back, it had the whole mystery of the time war brought mm-hmm. in. But in some respects, there was a few things that kind of cropped up in the Stephen Moffat era, where you know, where that was sort of completely jettisoned. Where you know, we see the moment when the Doctor steals the TARDIS uh, in the name of the Doctor. I think it is. You know, uh, Clara's there. At the very... We see when he's a little boy. Yeah. Um, which in terms, which I think it was in the episode Listen, which worked in some respects because i think that episode's really really good but in terms of the series it's sort of uh, i don't want to i'm not sure whether i want to see that the doctor's childhood because the, the big thing about the doctor is there is this sense of mystery i mean it's in the name of the show mm-hmm. so me personally i thought this was a nice little um this was a nice little scene um the doctor sent you know the, the, the doctor seemed really surprised to hear a self be called that but i think it i think it'd be quite nice to just have it left like that if it is delved into a bit more um 
it obviously depends on how it's handled. But me at the moment, I thought, oh, that was a nice little scene. Yeah, sort of leave it at that. There's a the little bit of a glimpse and now the door slams shut and just keep it like that. You know, tantalising, if you like. Yeah, I think it's inevitable it's going to crop up either at the end of this series or it's something they've seeded for further down the line. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, it, it does seem highly likely. But my personal preference is it's it's not. But as I said, it depends on very much how that's handled. So what the state of the Doctor is, we see we see deeper though, further back, the timeless child. She doesn't know. So could they be referring to her or, or someone else, do you think? Uh, actually, that's a good point. Because um, I was making it on the assumption that they were referring um, to the Doctor. That was that was my initial thinking whilst I was watching the episode, but yeah, the, the, actually now that you pointed out, they could actually be referring to something completely different. It could be, um, I mean, obviously, because if I remember rightly, the Doctor actually says, "You know, get out of my head." So they are either referring to the, the Doctor through a memory, or as as you're suggesting which is also another possibility which is you know something that she happens to know but is about someone completely different uh, could be a rep- repressed memory couldn't it yeah yeah it could be or she might have a child oh is it susan mm. nah <laughs> <laughs> nah it's it has to happen at some time where is susan living with um I think, well, maybe when we re- revisit the Eighth Doctor stuff, we'll go into that further. Eighth Doctor? Yeah, because she's in... Uh, have you... Do you know about an earthly child in the Sheridan Smith era? Nope. Okay, we'll not go into that just yet. <laughs> Alright, spoilers. Yeah. Alright, okay. But that's something I want to get through, if you fancy. We'll start the Eighth Doctor stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Because I, I because def- obviously I've listened to um, some um, Big Finish audio adventures, but I'm not particularly um, clued up on them. And that is something that I would, I would like to um, to listen to, especially yeah, especially yeah. the Paul McGann stuff. Well, initially I, I was, I just thought I'd buy all of them, mm-hmm. but now it's got to the stage where the only physical copies I buy is the Paul McGann stuff. Ah, oh, right, yeah, yeah. But I, I feel like they they fill like an essential gap on the shelf. Yeah, I know what you mean because really, in terms of Paul McGann, we've only got the TV movie and the Night of the Doctor. Mm-hmm. Which, in terms of having an actor like Paul McGann, is a is a bit of a waste because you know he could have been, yeah, absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And there's so much of it coming at the minute because at the moment, I think we've got three eras of the Eighth Doctor coming out. Um, we're in the three eras are separated in my mind into his three different costumes. All right, uh, so, but yeah, that makes sense. We've got an, a missing series with Lucy Miller coming out next year, mm-hmm. and simultaneously we're getting we're getting the Doctor in his Dark Eyes costume, which is when he's travelling in Ravenous, and we're also getting the Time War, and they're coming out back to back. So at the minute, his story's just totally fragmented. All right, okay. But how would you want to approach that? Do you think you'd fancy starting from the beginning? 
Yeah, because I, I listened to um, it might have been on a DVD special feature, I think, but I've, I've listened to a clip of um, I think it's called Edge Storm, something like that, and I think that's his very first one. Is that right? Yeah, Storm Warning. Storm Warning, that's it. Um, mm. About a, a ship crashing and crashing uh, again and again and again. What a way to never die. I was like, oh, that sounds good. Um, just just the line and the way that Paul McGann delivers it. Uh, yeah, because when Big Finish did a massive sale away some time back, um, it was actually during a period when I could actually afford it. And I think for £20... I got the first 50. So I've got like the Sirens of Time and... Uh, oh no, it was, hang on, it was the first 27, sorry. So the, the Sirens of Time up to the One Doctor. So yeah, I've got Stone Warning, Sword of Orion, The Stones of Venice. Which Doctor's Minuit in Hell? Minuit in Hell is is Paul McGann. Uh, that, um, and that, that's his story with the Brigadier. All uh, right, okay, so I've got, I've got the... One, two, three, four... What's Lupus Garrox? I'm pretty sure that's a fifth Doctor story. Dust breeding. Oh, dust breeding is a good one. That's a seventh Doctor story. Um, Blood ties to Colin first Baker. Story with with um, Jeffrey Beaver's master. Ah, right. Okay. For a big finish. And then I've got Project Twilight. It, uh, also, I th- no, no, no. Sorry, go wrong. Project Twilight. Sorry, Project Twilight. I think that's a sixth Doctor story. I might be wrong. And then I've got either Scorpion. Mind, I haven't listened to most of these in about ten years. <laughs> right, okay, yeah. Well anyway, so I've got I've got a handful of Paul McGowan ones there to um Yeah, those four, the first four we should tackle because the, they're his first series. Actually, didn't you mention that it was uh, isn't isn't next year the twentieth anniversary of Big Finish? Yeah, yeah. So we we should look at the dates and maybe we can do one a month. Yeah, I think that'd be quite good. Oh, incidentally, because I know that yeah. uh, there is actually going to be a, Chris, uh, a Christmas special this year. There is. Is it? Is it going to be on Christmas Day or New Year's Day? Because that's the two two rumours I've heard. Apparently so. I'm sure... Hang on, bear with me a second. Um, I'm going off the very reliable Wikipedia. And according to that, it says... 25th of December. Yeah, so it's going to be Christmas. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and that uh, and that's quoted so- from the Radio Times. Okay, so we're going to have much of a gap between the end of this series and Christmas. Not much of a one, because according to this, the, the final episode of the series is the 9th of December. Alright. So, that so that'll give us a couple, couple of weeks, weeks off the new series. One, two, th- yeah. three? Three weeks? Yeah. Well, I think the time's really flew by since last Christmas. I feel like I've just sat down recently to watch Twice Upon a Time. Yeah, I know what you mean. It doesn't, it doesn't feel that, that long. Because I think when it was when when it was said, oh, um, there's not going to." Because I think initially people were expecting the new series to be in March, but when they said, "Oh no, it won't be until October," I think, "Oh, oh God, the wait's going to be massive." But it's actually t- mm-hmm. it's actually turned around quite quickly. Yeah, totally. So that's another episode done, and I think it was another good one. Yep, I think it was. Um, I think just going from the top, I think um, finally being able to see the the new series title sequence properly i think they're very good really really like them i think it was a decent story i think the strength of uh, the ghost monument was the characters all of them not just the regulars but the epso angstum and um i think it's pronounced illin 
They were really good, very well realised, very well written. The reveal of the new TARDIS was absolutely fantastic, loved it. But I will say that uh, chocolate bourbons are better better than custard creams. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you're right there. <laughs> well, I hope they keep the momentum going with this series because I feel like, especially in the Russell T. Davis era, some episodes just felt like filler, if you know what I mean. Yeah, um, I think but... the the first the first one that comes to mind is something like Fear Her, uh, which I know is not a it's particularly exactly I was thinking of, particular yeah. fan favorite. But the the next episode, which is Rosa, should be very interesting. I mean, if you remember, because in the in the first podcast I was talking about slight concerns that I have that of what they may do with uh, with Rosa, Rosa Parks and how her um, how her moment in the civil rights movement will be affected in the series. But but we'll see. I, I suspect that my my concerns will be unfounded, and it will be that very important moment in this uh, American the, the American civil rights movement will be handled uh, very strongly uh, as I said my main concern was that it'll be written as the doctor comes in and gives Rosa Parks the confidence she needs in order to do this um, amazing thing uh, which I explained in the first podcast and probably will be uh, explained in the Doctor Who episode Rosa but I suspect actually my concerns will be unfounded and it'll be handled well but I am looking forward to uh, watching that because it'd be interesting to see what they do. Yeah, I think it'll be handled well. I think one of the directives for this series was that it's going to be more of an educational show again. Mm-hmm. So these kind of historical stories might be ones where we're just there to observe um, and there'll not be too much meddling, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Do you think there was much to learn from this episode? I think if there was a, th- um, a moral theme, I think it was probably to trust people and people work better in teams and groups so quite a you know quite a, a simple message but it wasn't it didn't come across as as overly preachy and again this goes back to the point of yeah. how the characters were written because when um when Epso the way that that is explained of why he has trust issues you go yeah that that, that that's unfortunately very real uh and but you know very understandable i do think the doctor's attitude towards explaining stuff was quite on level with everyone else, you know. When she says the, the TARDIS is, um, it's down to dimensional engineering, she says it quite plainly, you know. Sometimes there's a danger of sounding quite condescending when you ramble out an explanation and the person doesn't understand. There's a danger that she can just sound like a smart ass, but she doesn't. <laughs> No, no, that's true, and I think because sometimes the show has relished in its reputation of of techno babble, and I suppose as being fans, we like the whole thing of uh, dimensionally transcendental. But of course, it's a phrase that is absolutely meaningless and is there to to sound self important. Yeah, d- dimensional engineer uh, engineering perfectly explains it. Um, mm. oh, one thing, I mean, it doesn't have to be massively looked into because it's just a nice little touch. But we do see the return uh, return of. Uh, Venusian Akita. Yeah, with the nuns. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that was that, that was um, a nice little nod, um, you know, to, to, to you know that that fans would get to the John Pertwee era. Um, but again, it's 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 like what we were talking about in the uh, in the first podcast, which is references like this. It's a nice little nod to the fans, but it doesn't get in the way of uh, of just general viewers. No, not at all. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening. 
make sure to check out our next podcast out on Thursday the 25th of October where we'll be discussing episode 3, Rosa. Available from SoundCloud by searching for the Podcast.